0: That's a nice cuppa you
1: got there, John. Thanks very much. It's cold. Looks warm. Yeah, warm in my hands. It's easy, uh a couple of years ago it wasn't so bad. There was, we still had Russian gas, mm-hmm. but this year it's really
0: we're down to <sighs> firewood and yeah, burning garbage basically. You know, it'll be cow dung by February.
1: Yeah, but if it if it stops Putin, then. I'm willing to uh, if it stops Putin, I'm willing to do do my bit, you know. Yeah, for NATO. Yeah. Oh, well, you know. I and Brussels. The, I take the cold showers as well. Good to stop yeah. Putin.
0: <clears throat> you do it every day, right? Uh, yeah, and I'll it's I'll important s- to shower, if they clean. So it should be cold once a day, at least, really cold.
1: Well, that's that's the you know. I don't want people
0: to start thinking this is an excuse not to not to bathe at least once a day. No.
1: No, you have to, yeah. Uh
0: all winter long, cold. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I take the cold shower and uh, and all the way through it, I'm thinking, take that Putin, so.
0: Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll show em. Just like that German government ad. They were, that was prescient. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I feel every time I don't get hot water in yep. the middle of freezing cold winter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I check to see, you know, um, after I take the whole shower and say, take that, Putin. I check to see if uh, I go and see if I can find some, like, you know, a day later or even a couple of days later, if my, like, two or three or whatever number of cold showers were taken up at that time um, has actually affected Putin. We've you know? been
0: rumbled. Some cheeky git in the comments says, but I thought Spain was filling Russian gas and in turn selling it to France. So y'all got Spanish gas. Shut up. That, that's <coughs> true, but... Sh-
1: well, pretending on, that we're not getting any. Because animal.
0: that's for the war effort. Yeah. The war effort isn't actually that Europe isn't sw- swimming in Russian oil and gas, it's that we're pretending not to be. Yeah. Even though exactly. it's all coming from India and Turkey. Yeah.
1: It's more a principled stance, you yeah, know, rather than a practical stance.
0: Yeah, we get to say it's a superficiality of saying take that, Putin. Whereas in fact Putin's Getting richer than ever, you know. The Russian economy was supposed to contract by X percent this year. The stats are pretty much in. Obviously, we're not quite at the end of the year, but it's going to top three percent. So, we're, a swing of about they were off by about five percent. The IMF, I'm talking about here. Yeah,
1: well, it's it's worse than that, like because uh, this uh, this fella from the Telegraph <coughs> um, uh, notes. Uh, Putin's Russia, Putin's Russia, not Russia itself, but Putin's Russia, which is a slightly, it's actually a different country. You may have heard of Russia uh, throughout history and stuff like that, you know, um, big country, Central central Asia, Eurasian continent. But this is Putin's Russia. <clears throat> it's a different country. I'm not sure exactly where it is. But anyway, Putin's Russia is closing in on a devastating victory and it's, yeah, the victory will be devastating. Um, I like the next part too. Keep saying next part. Europe's foundations are trembling. Oh, trembling! Yeah, so it's devastating. I mean, I saw other headlines that said that That's the vic- a, that the victory itself was devastating for for, for for Russia, but this guy at least seems to be saying that it's not a good victory for Europe. At least I think he's tying the devastating victory to Europe's foundations trembling.
0: This so, is almost identical to another one you sent me this week from the Telegraph.
1: Yeah, that was a different one though. That was the one that, where the guy was saying that it was uh uh what was the term he used? Uh, uh a kind of victory. Um Do you remember? Yep. Huh?
0: Putin Well, Putin has won basically. And then his second no, we, line was Europeans should be terrified. Yes, that, uh, but,
1: the, but the but we were talking at that time about the uh, about the the type the way the guy was describing it as uh, a ah,
0: inside the the first paragraph.
1: No, in the, t- in the title, yeah, or in the, whatever, yeah, uh, the way he was describing the actual victory, you know, it was like a... Um
0: yeah, so desp- he said something like, despite Putin's ill-judged
1: decision... I was an ill-judged... ...to invade Ukraine, it looks like he's won. That's right, that's right. So <laughs> what was it was an ill-judged victory, basically. Mm, yeah. This guy, at least, is saying that um, it's a devastating victory, not for Russia, but for, for Europe, but the last guy in the was saying that it was an ill-judged victory, you know, and like we were saying at the time, yeah, very often whenever you, you win something, you know, from large to small, whatever it might be in life, you know, any victories you get in life, um, most people reflect on them and they think that they're ill-judged, you know. Uh, it's like, oh, damn, I keep on winning. Why did I win again? It was a really bad, bad idea. Uh, can
0: you put that first one up again? <coughs> December
1: 9th, okay, so that's yesterday. Yeah, if you just, uh, this, so, the guy's like, we need to talk about Ukraine. Uh, the world's attention has been focused on the war in Israel, Hamas. But, uh, un- unfortunately, Ukraine's counteroffensive has failed. Uh, the much-fated counteroffensive, it was meant to be a spring counteroffensive, turned into a summer counter-offensive, counteroffensive, and it didn't actually really happen at all in the sense of actually achieving anything. So there wasn't really any counteroffensive. Um. I mean, an attempted one, I suppose, but it didn't go anywhere. Anyway, but it was much talked about at the time. If you remember, uh, Putin was losing, Ukraine was winning. Well, Putin's been losing and Ukraine's been winning for the past two years until today, basically, when Putin all of a sudden shock shock victory. Right, I don't know where suddenly he's winning and how did this happen and how could we have, how can we have um, how can we misjudge this so so badly? You know, I mean, um, if you see uh, if you go down a few paragraphs there. Five or six paragraphs. I was one of those who expected Ukraine to break through to the Sea of Azov. Um, this was in June, right? Their their delayed counteroffensive that was launched in June. I was one of those who expected Ukraine to break through to the Sea of Azov. A move that might well have ended the war. (laughs) Um, but and then the next paragraph what did I why did I get it wrong? I had I had been talking not only to Ukrainians because that would be biased when we talk to Ukrainians, I also talked to British <laughs> British military observers who are totally impartial in this war, of course, who had direct knowledge of the battlefield. And they had watched the extraordinary Ukrainian gains in Kharkiv and Kherson in twenty twenty two, in the beginning of twenty twenty two, which you know, as debatable as to what kind of what gains they had, well I mean gain was that gains or was that Russia just retreating? Anyway. Uh So basically, he says, they had learned their lessons. You know, the Russian invaders had learned their lessons. And um, uh, Putin needs to hang on for just another 12 months. If Donald Trump, even if Donald Trump is not elected, Republican congressmen have turned against the war. Last week, they blocked President Biden's idiot billion aid package to Ukraine, which is terrible, obviously, because there's no more war. It's terrible, terrible. This guy is really sad that there's no, no more you know, billions and billions going to Ukraine so that more Ukrainians can die, like maybe half half a million have died already, but he's not satisfied. Uh, And then he complains about the fact that America isn't spending any money, uh, sending any more money to Ukraine because it's not just about uh, financial, like, well, they don't want to spend the money in Ukraine, these Republicans in Congress. It may actually be partisan dislike of Biden, which is terrible. And he says that same ignoble impulse an ignoble impulse. Imagine disliking Biden. I mean, how, how, how ignoble, how, how uncouth to, to dislike Biden. Uh, there's also a lingering resentment of the cameo role that Ukraine played in the Trump impeachment drama. Mm. But anyway, um, so...
0: And this guy is pitched as an alt-right figure. <laughs> you know, yeah. Daniel Hernan is like not mainstream conservative, yeah. so people say, well...
1: Yes. So, what does he say? There's a bit where he says there's something about. Uh, it's just it's 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 amazing. It's the same Um. um yeah. If you. There's a paragraph where he says the long-term costs of, like, so he's talking about a victory, right? Russia's basically saying Russia's won, Europe's trembling. And he says, but the long-term costs to the Russian people of this shift to a wartime economy, you know, of course, until this paragraph, basically, until this guy came to the scene, whenever countries shift to a wartime economy, generally the economy booms. And you just mentioned that they're predicted to Mm -hmm. grow 3%. According to him, not not so fast, Neil. The long-term costs to the Russian people of this shift to a wartime economy are dreadful. Dreadful, (laughs) Neil. Vladimir Putin has condemned his long-suffering muziks Musiks. Musiks. Is that some? I don't know. To years of penury and hunger. (laughs) Years. Just you wait. But for now, it has done the trick. Russia has made it through to winter without a Ukrainian breakthrough. And in the last few paragraphs, just (coughs) the poignancy of the last few paragraphs are fantastic. It's still possible to imagine a peace deal that does not overly reward Russian aggression. Perhaps the Eastern Oblast could win autonomy and under loose Ukrainian suzerainty. Perhaps an internationally supervised referendum might be held in a demilitarized Camp Crimea. Perhaps perhaps perhaps, perhaps maybe no. a wish list. Santa, did you get my letter this year? <laughs> but if Russia ends up annexing land by force <clears throat> if it ends up, which it kinda of really has done, <clears throat> it's not just the West that will lose, it is the entire post nineteen forty five international order of awesomeness. The world is getting colder. The nights are drawing in. Putin's harsh, hot breath can be felt on the backs of the necks of every European citizen. Putin is here. He is coming for you. So there you go. That's, that's I just want to throw it in there because it's just some wonderful journalism there. Objective, clear-sighted, you know, unbiased, impartial journalism. What's amazing about it is that the guy actually, you know, exposed, he's like writing about the fact that he got it totally fucking wrong. Yeah. Uh, which was obvious. Should have been obvious to everybody for for the whole period of this uh, conflict. But he's, right, so he's writing about how he got it wrong. And in writing about how he got it wrong, he continues to get it wrong. Yeah. He just doubles down on his wrongness. Yeah. So awesome. And you wonder why we criticize... It- the mainstream media or why people lose faith in it trust in
0: it in in his wish list to Santa at the end there Mm. he says well maybe Russia will agree to two or four of those new regions Mm. being autonomous but still within Ukraine that was offered that was offered by Putin in Minsk
1: I know which they shit on basically they they used which you
0: expressly then when you were so cocksure of victory against Russia by a proxy war you, ex- you, you went and boasted that you only use Minsk to do as a away. stalling tactic to arm Ukraine. I mean...
1: Um, and you expect these people to report, give you anything, you know, give object, an objective take on it. Like people look to the media and people like this guy and this paper, the Telegraph, to get an objective view on, on what's going on. You know, what's actually going on in the world today? Let me check the Telegraph.
0: Well, this speaking of this is the other headline I referred to. That's why I was like, did a double take. It's almost identical. It's two days before by yep. another writer
1: for the Telegraph. <laughs> that, that.
0: Putin is close to victory. Colin Coughlin, yeah. Europe should be terrified. He's
1: hilarious. He's he's a comedian. He's and my favorite comedian. That guy Colin Coughlan. Okay. He's a famous comedian, uh, at least in my books. He's hilarious. His his writing
0: in the last two years. <laughs> um, and scroll down. The first paragraph is, is the one you referred to before um this is think about how, how they frame it it's just bullshit um the possibility that putin might yet emerge victorious from his ill-judged invasion <laughs> oh, wait if it's if it's ill-judged and he's won is it not
1: ah, well, nil, well judged see <laughs> <laughs> It's the bigger picture you're missing. These guys like Con Cochran, the famous comedian at the Telegraph, he's, he's all about the big picture, you see. You know, mm. it's ill judged because just you wait two weeks to flatten the curve or, you know, yeah. wait till the next counter or wait, just wait till down the line.
0: Russians will go hungry. Wait, yeah.
1: Bad things are going to happen from this victory. They always do. Uh, yeah. So. Um.
0: We've opened with Ukraine, so uh, do, do you have anything else to say there? But I mean, in the situation on the ground, uh, are you following it at all? Supposedly, there's like it's hilarious that the, 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 their, their tune has changed so sharply, mm-hmm. even though the, the picture is the same. It's been for like a year now, mm-hmm. but maybe not. If you zoom in on the front line, there are breakthroughs on the R- Russian side into Ukraine. No big sweeping stuff yet, but...
1: Um. No, but the thing about it is, is, again, it's just like, I think this is the plan all along, uh, Russia's plan all along, which just, it's a war of attrition. Like, all wars are ultimately a war of attrition where you attrite the enemy forces to the point that uh, there are no, uh, there's no viable any fo- enemy forces opposing army anymore, and therefore the war's over, right? Mm. And you don't have to move very far. You know what I mean? It depends on the conflict... But when it's, just, when it's framed in this, like you go back to World War II or something like that and it was like, uh, you know, multiple parties involved and so there lots of incursions into different countries and a lot about like territory taken and different countries surrendering or whatever being occupied, that kind of thing. But there's just one country against another country on its border and that's it. It's limited, very, very constrained and mm. confined to, the, to that geographic area. So the clearly in that kind of a, when you can keep everybody else back or everybody else, you know, keeps themselves out, aren't interested in getting directly involved well it's just going to be the last man standing right it's like a boxing match mm. whoever can take more punches and is standing at the end is the winner <clears throat> and, and gets the belt type thing so um, that's been the, the case in, in this in, in this conflict all along you know uh, that's, I think that's obviously been Russia's uh, attitude is like look, and in fact that's the genesis of the the cause of the conflict was the build up of the of the NATO backed and armed Ukrainian military which was going to be was going to pose a military threat to Russia on Russia's border, first and foremost to the people of the Russian people in Donbass, and then to Russia itself. And Russia said, Listen, we need to do something with like this, so we're going to invade and we're going to destroy that army. So it's just been a process over the past, it's not even two years yet, right? Um, past uh, 19, 18, 19, 20, 21 months, whatever, uh, of just destroying that army. That's what they decided to do, was destroy the army. And of course, yeah, these weapons being funneled in, but it was a, it was a combination of Ukrainian physical, you know, individual manpower, and then the, the weapons flow. Um, but ultimately, the weapons are going to dry up. The weapons could keep going because uh, you know they've used quite a lot of stockpiles in the U.S. and different places around the world to feed the NATO back, NATO formed Ukrainian army. But ultimately, it's the personnel. When there's not enough personnel left to um, wage a conflict, to to continue to wage war, then it's over, right? Um, Between those two things, uh, it's it's the manpower that's going to be decisive. And and I suggest that, I I think, I suspect, sorry, that that's why there's this ambivalence and backing away by the US in particular and European countries because they realize that they don't, they might have you know, they have more weapons to send, let's say, or could send at least basic supplies of shells and tank shells and stuff and artillery shells. If there isn't enough, or if there aren't enough Ukrainian personnel actually, you know, to fire, fire them, them, fire them to effectively, you know, across enough of the border to stop, uh, to actually give Russia a good fight type thing, well then, what's the point in sending them? Who are you so them? So that's where they're at at the moment. That's Washington. I think so. Like when you it, say 500,000 dead because it was 600,000, I think, was the estimation of that they had mobilized in the beginning, about 20 months ago, they had built up about 600,000, and there's reasonable estimates that somewhere in the region of 500 of those 600,000 are now either dead, injured, or otherwise um, not available for, for combat.
0: Yeah, I, I'm getting, like, from the media, it sounds like that's it, it's over. Um, there's, there's so many, like we've just seen, you know, Russia's won basically. We saw previously it's time to negotiate, but Zelensky won't listen. You know, he's such a hard head about it. On um, the other hand, though, Biden this week is telling Congress we need to approve, approve this latest aid package, mm-hmm. of weapons, shipments to Kiev. Um, otherwise, Russia will win, invade the rest of Europe, and US soldiers will have to fight and
1: die well, in yeah, Europe to stop. I, mean, I mean, how. It's rhetoric, but but he but, sounds like he's but, staying but, in the fight. But rhetoric you've heard before, not just in this conflict, but multiple times. What, what about we're fighting them over there, so we don't have to fight them over here? Yeah. Right? How many times have you said Johnson, that? Johnson Vietnam, yeah. right? Vietnam, war and terror. Like it's six. That's sixty-year-old rhetoric that is is dragged out repeatedly when you want to try and manipulate and coerce the population or and or members of of, of Congress uh, to to get behind. Uh, what is effectively a money making scheme uh, a money laundering scheme he wants to send another 88 billion dollars to Ukraine but as we've heard uh, from Mitch McConnell Mitch McConnell but also more recently from Kirby uh, John Kirby in the Pentagon um, in fact I uh, no sorry that's not it but I, ha- I have it here somewhere um, um, actually it's Blinken not Kirby Blinken Um said it explicitly, so it's, this is Secretary of State, this wasn't just some, you know, wasn't, uh, what do you call him? Uh, he's the leader of the Republican Party, right? Uh, the old father. In the Senate, yeah. A Senate leader. Um, Lincoln said the same thing, um, that that $88 billion, vast majority of it's going to stay in America. That's taking money from American taxpayers, from making making taking money from, quote-unquote, American taxpayers, but rather taking it from the Fed, who fires up the print machines and sends the electronic money the, the virtual printing machines, and send some electronic money to um, the bank accounts of defense contractors. So most of that $88 billion is going to them. Um, but this is Blinken said that they're not uh, so long ago. ...note
0: on this, uh, and this is more for the, the American audience. If you look at the investments that we've made in Ukraine's defense to deal with this aggression, um, 90% of the security assistance we provided has actually been spent here in the United States with our manufacturers, with our production, and that's produced uh, more American jobs, uh, more growth in our own uh, economy. Uh, so this has also been a, a
2: win-win that we need to continue.
1: A win-win. But w- okay, I can see one part of that win. We just said you just built <clears throat> $100 billion so far, plus they want another $8 billion of American, ultimately American taxpayers' money as in money that could go to other things. It's money from the, from the, Amer- from the American Treasury. It comes from taxes. It's going to Ukraine. Has gone to Ukraine, and it's a win for them because that goes to defense contractors, which supports jobs in, in defense contractors, and they're one of the biggest employers in, in in America. So it supports jobs there. It's good, you know. And what Mr McConnell said about re- revitalizing our industrial base, stuff like that. That's what he was saying. Same thing. Um, but the other side of the win, 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 win means two parties. So the two parties are would be America and the American American industry and Ukraine. So. Where's the win for you? Can you explain where, Any idea where that win for Ukraine <laughs> is? They've lost half a million soldiers. Uh, the guy like we just read in The Telegraph. Uh,
0: I suppose they, they keep up the, prom, the, 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 the hope that they could break through
1: and retake, but not, retake not, Crimea. Not in the media anymore. Not, 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 not as far as... Uh,
0: I think win-win means something very different to the Americans than it does to the Chinese.
1: Both of those wins stay in America. They're both for me. Win-win. Win-win <laughs> win for me. So it's 50-50 for me and none for you. Uh, yeah, so it's bizarre that With 10% Blinken, for the big guy. Yeah, 10% for Biden. So, yeah, it's bizarre that Blinken can get up there and say that. He's the Secretary of State and he's calling it a win-win on the same day that headlines across the world are lamenting the fact that Ukraine has lost, Russia has won, and re- Europe is trembling. But that's a win. As long as Europe's trembling and looking in the
0: right direction. That's a win. But that's that's still a double win for America. They're double winning. They're by winning. If Europe trembles and goes to uh, to Moscow, let's reopen Nord Stream. That's not a win-win. Which isn't
1: going to happen by the looks of it. So, yeah. And of course, you know, Blinken's statement there makes it kind of clear that this was ultimately about the, the... a big part of the excitement and push and propaganda that everybody was subjected to a couple of years ago um, to get everybody behind the support Ukraine and let's defeat Russia was all about American finances, about money for America. That, that, was, that was probably, I'd say, that was the primary goal. The primary... Um, yeah, the primary goal, basically. It wasn't about evil Putin, it wasn't about stopping Russia, it wasn't about Russia you know, being a threat to Europe, it wasn't about protecting freedom and democracy, it wasn't about any of those things, it was about money. And it always has been really about money, first and foremost. All the rest is just narrative to justify the the money. I love money. They love money. So, um, I don't know. I don't know, what do you say to these things? You just go, duh, um, well, okay, sure, whatever.
0: It's funny, w- there there's there's some other realizations hitting home in inside the imperial capital, or they seem to be you never know these people they, they they seem to take stock of reality and you know then four days later they can backtrack
1: they forgot about it
0: um this is in the Washington post last week um it's an op-ed by the editor at large, so in a sense, Kagan is the top editor of the Washington Post. Mm. Robert Kagan is Victoria Newland's husband. Um, the original title they gave it actually was simply just The Trump Dictatorship. <laughs> um, it's a bit more fleshed out now. A Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We should stop pretending. Um, big, long <laughs> read, but basically that is the article in that those two sentences. One
1: of, in, this is one of the cases where you don't need to read the rest of the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. they, they yeah. said it. Um, now you got a lot of pushback.
0: He got a lot of pushback <laughs> um, <clears throat> because you know Washington's not ready to hear that. But you can see how the, the trendsetters are trying to adapt. Um, of course, those of you who know what's gone on there with the, that uh, blasphemous. Juxtaposition of images. That's obviously Caesar, orange man at the bottom, and Caesar on top. It's he's half Caesar, very half Trump. Spooky to me that they chose that bust of Caesar <clears throat> because that is most they think most likely the most accurate representation of. What right. he there's, like. there's
1: there's many of them, yeah. There's several different.
0: The gist of it was uh, Trump is going to win. It's like, it's like guys, he's going to win the Republican nomination and probably be re-elected. Mm.
1: That was like amazing.
0: Jaws dropped when Kagan said this. Mm. Um, but dictatorship and dictatorship. This time, he will have really go full, you know, quote, cross the Rubicon and actually he, act as a dictator in a second term because he's got we'll nothing to lose.
1: Be, how will he do that with all the checks and balances, Neil?
0: Right. Well, he would, you know, because, dis- disregard them and he could like kill that. half a Congress. Well, Trump's response to this was interesting. He had an interview with Sean Hannity, and he said, "Yeah, you know," um, <laughs> he said when Hannity put this to him. Obviously, he was inviting Trump to deny (laughs) and to say, of course not. But Trump said, well, I'll be dictator for one day. We're closing the border and then we're going to drill, drill, drill. There's two things I will be dictator on. It'll be American oil and gas investment and reboosting production. And the other one will be we're closing that border. So it was a funny answer, but uh, obviously it won't help Calm, calm them down. Anyway, this guy he responded because of the pushback inside DC. He responded with another one. Was um, this, uh, this weekend or Friday, maybe? And uh, the <laughs> the gist of it was, a lot of people said to me, "Yeah, but, yeah, but well, what are we going to do about it?" So he said, oh, "Okay, there's ways to stop it." And the gist of this long editorial is. Totally contradicts what he just said, which is that he's going to win. In this one, basically, he's like, "There's one way to stop him. Everybody needs to get behind Nikki Haley, mm. and she'll be the nominee, and that's how we beat Trump." You know, that's that's like wishful thinking. You know, And why bother saying it after you've just acknowledged that you know it can't happen, but or it's unlikely to happen unless you make it happen.
1: Is it? So is it just, are you saying this is just like these guys are just, like this guy's consciously putting out like manipulative and propagandistic narratives that aren't actually true? I
0: think he genuinely attempted to the first time to say, let's get real. And then the pushback inside DC was no, no, no,
1: no. But tell, us, he really, tell us what we want to hear. But so, do you think he really believes that Trump, Trump would be a dictator? No, no, said, no, of, of course, course not. No, of course but not. Why but put, I think he believes Trump will win. But why would you put dictatorship in the title then? Well, because
0: that's, that's how they see the whole world. It, the, you're a Democrat and therefore good if you keep the system as it is. If you come in and try
1: to change the system, you're a dictator. But that's not the definition of a dictator. No, of course not. But these people are. Yeah, but that's actually, what I mean. Like he knows that mo- that's, that's not the well, dictionary definition of a dictator. Does he?
0: Does he? His father was like arguably one of the top experts in the classics. Mm-hmm. He was an expert on um, um, ancient Greece. Um, at Cornell University, mm-hmm. I'm not sure where the whole family is like ultra brains they know they know the history inside out they know the classics they they they, they read greek like like super you'd expect better of them but they, they they are the kind of people who have an interpretation of what they're reading that's fundamentally inverted from what you or i or most people would or, take
1: from or it or the dictionary definition Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's hyperbole or does he really believe it?
1: Well, when you're actually talking to people, like you're publishing something in a magazine or in a newspaper and you're using a word, and that word has a commonly understood definition and it's in the dictionary and everybody else understands that, but you use it?
0: No, well, it's more complicated than that. You see, Caesar, in Roman times, to be a dictator was an actual legal you could be the dictator and it would be agreed that you would be so for a year or for a period of emergency and there would be no tribunes or there'd be no second consul who would rule with you for that year. Mm. So it was an actual thing. That's the textbook literal definition of what it used to mean. Now it's become loaded with various pejoratives. And yes, we commonly mean it's someone who rules a country by fiat with no democratic checks and balances and oversight. Yeah, they're implying that's what Trump, how Trump would rule a second term. But, but they of course know he, he
1: wouldn't. But they know, and they know he would. But they,
0: what they mean, what they're getting at? It's interesting, actually. In the first article, he says, "No, the second one, we need to get behind Nikki Haley." Brackets, and he inserts this clause, and not just because she's most supportive about continuing the war in Ukraine. Close bracket. blah, 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 but hmm But they gave away that that's what he saw it as the tr- problem with Trump is he would disband NATO. He would stop the war in Ukraine. He's telling everyone, you know, hmm. maybe president and I'll end it in 24 hours, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, 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 I suppose my point is that using the word dictator dictatorship is is deliberately manipulative. Yes. And it's it's false in the sense of you're, you're lying to, you're telling a lie, basically, and you know it's a lie, especially what, given what he said afterwards. He talks about vote for Nikki Haley and stuff. Because when he says dictatorship, he know he must know that in the minds of everybody who reads it, they're going to see that as Trump's going to seize power. He's mm. going to like just cancel Congress because you don't need Congress if you're a dictator. You're ruling. Mm. Abs- you're an absolute ruler who, who just makes all the decisions, and nobody gets to contest them. That's obviously not going to happen. But he uses that term anyway, so he, he he's lying. Yeah, and that was what in the New York Times, Washington Post, Washington Post. So there's a, and the Washington Post allowed someone to put up a blatant lie. Uh, as an editorial to inform the public I mean whatever I'm just I know it happens all the time but it's just it's quite stark these days in terms of just the flagrancy with which they they pass off lies as as truth you know yeah anyway um (coughs) weird 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 world we live in um yeah so yes Ukraine (coughs) it's all a joke Putin's won. Putin's going to win. Putin won the war and he's going to... I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens.
0: Um, He's announced he's running again. Uh, There's quite a bit happening next year. Russia's got elections in March. Mm. Probably the UK and, of course, the US as well. It's interesting that all three of those have it the same year. Mm -hmm. I, I think everyone assumed he would run again, but he announced it quietly this week at some event where he was asked about it and he said, yeah, I'm going to run. No big fanfare, he just said yes in response to being asked by a... But actually he was asked by, he was he was handing medals out to soldiers in, mm-hmm. in in the Ukraine war. And one of them was the... The guy who asked him was the head of the Sparta Battalion. That's, you know, the kind of now legend, legendary unit of the original Donbass militia. Mm-hmm and he said yes <clears throat> da, I'm running that's how they do it in Russia <laughs> there's no there's no year long election cycle it's just you know announced as an aside mm-hmm. a few months before uh, so that would be in Russia now is it a six year term 2018 he was yeah, the last six years so that would take 2030 Up to 2030 mind you at that point he'll be 70
1: 77 78 Okay. He's 72 now, isn't he? 52, I think. I will be 72, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be in the upper 70s. That'll be enough. If things haven't been sorted out by then, then I'm going home. <clears throat> You're going home? <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving. I've had enough. Uh, I'll give you another f- I'll give another five or six years, but this shit show has to come to some kind of a, a denouement, you know, ahead. Um, the boil has to... <laughs>
0: Well, Israel is doing all it can to help you there, Joe. Yeah,
1: good on good on the Israelis. Yeah, um, by exposing themselves as a bunch of genocidal maniacs um, to awaken the world to the fact that they are genocidal maniacs, and also um, their friends by by implication, by association, in America and in other European countries, to the extent that any, anybody is openly uh, in favour of of what Israel is doing, they're all genocidal maniacs. So that's, that's a good thing. It's, it's very sad and a lot horrific of, for the Palestinian people, but it's almost like they're sacrificial lambs and I hope it's for a higher good because if, if human beings don't take this opportunity to wake up to the nature of the people in positions of power in the West in particular – um then it's gonna be it's gonna be bad, you know, they're going to there'll be hell to pay as a result. It's an opportunity right now for people to realise what's actually going on to kinda of wake up to reality in a certain sense the reality of, like I said, the, pe- the nature of the people in positions of power. Look what they're doing, look what they're sanctioning. And guys, they're slaughtering men, women and children every day and they're trying to make excuses for it. And uh, <clears throat> not only that, but I mean again this is I mean uh, this this is this is again, out of the the um, US government. Uh, this time it was Kirby. Uh, it's not Blinken this time, but Kirby. And this, again, the delusion of these people, uh, do they really, do they not know that this doesn't make any sense? In the same way Blinken's win-win thing doesn't make any sense, because Russia just won, so it's not a win for Ukraine. Uh, this is Kirby, uh, White House, <coughs> White House, Spokesman, um, talking about, pushing back on reporters, asking them about, you know, the murder of, the deaths of civilians in in Gaza.
2: About the humanitarian situation in Gaza. Tell me, name me one more nation, any other nation, that's doing as much as the United States to alleviate the pain and suffering of the people of Gaza. You can't. You just can't. The United States, through President Biden, is leading the effort to get trucks, food, water, medicine, and fuel into the people of Gaza. Wait, wait Johnson. Name another nation. Name another nation that's doing is more than the United States to get hostages out or to get people foreign nationals out of Gaza. You can't do it. And name another nation that is that is doing more, to urge the Israeli counterparts, our Israeli counterparts, to be as cautious and deliberate uh, as they can be in the prosecution of their military operations. You can't. The United
1: States is at the forefront of this. Now, every... Well, he's claiming that there's no other nation doing as much as the U.S. to alleviate the suffering of the people of Gaza. While every day they're sending uh, giant transport planes, military transport planes, from European bases and from America itself to Israel full of bombs that are used to drop on the people of Gaza. Yeah. So, I mean... So... It's like, I, I don't know, if any, I don't expect they did, but that no reporter at that White House press conference actually said that to him. He said, claim you're, leaving, you're doing more than any other country to alleviate the suffering, but you're actually doing more than any other, any other country to create the suffering, by facilitating Israel to do what it's doing and giving them weapons to do it. Yeah. I'm like... It's a contrived situation that... Not even Ahmed, the diversity, inclusion and equity... Uh, unicorn is able to get his head around that. No, and he's a great thinker. he, yeah. he can he can come up with all sorts of convoluted narratives to to explain things. But he just doesn't get that one either. It's like when you're actually flying the bombs um, to a country to drop on civilians and then say, "Yes, we're doing." More I can than name else. one other country who's doing more. Palestine doing more to what? More Palestine is doing more to alleviate the suffering. Of course. Well, of course, the government in
0: question. And in a sense, there are two authorities because one's in the Gaza Strip and one's in the West Bank. But obviously, the, countries, the country that is doing more than the United States and always has been has been the proto-states because they're not officially recognized by the United States of America, but they are by other countries, namely the government of Palestine has been doing more than the United States. So right there. But because... park yourself there and you say there is no Palestinian government and you try to frame it so that all there is is a terrorist enclave Mm -hmm. and Israel. Mm -hmm. In that context, then yes. Oh, and by the way, you've not let anyone else. You basically have an AAD, an area of active denial or a security envelope as the Israelis call it. No one else is allowed to do anything. There are American troops in Gaza, sure. No one else is allowed to get near it. Right. Therefore, of course, if there are some American trucks and aid getting into Gaza, they can go, I don't see anyone else doing it. That's because you don't fucking let anyone else near the place. Exactly. So technically, he's not lying after he's framed it a certain way. After he's set up the reality on the ground, he get that, that, that's where he gets in his mind to make that make sense. And to to shout down. Hang on a second. Name me another country. Yeah. Name, he's so certain. You're like, yeah. Jesus, he's right. Technically, yeah. he's right.
1: <laughs> but it's. But you're but you're missing part of it that they're creating the suffering in the first place. Yeah. But then they're att- half-heartedly attempting to alleviate it by saying, Israel, don't be killing more civilians. Ah, please. Well, just try not to, will you? I mean, <clears throat> you know the way you're actively targeting Palestinians. <laughs> Um, Could you not do that? Could you just allow the collateral damage to kill them but actually hit, you know, actual supposed strategic sites rather than actually dropping bombs on people on purpose? Could you not do that part? Well, we'll see. We'll have a meeting and see if we can accommodate that. I'm not sure, though, because we really, really hit the Palestinians. Maybe we want to wipe them out. In the same way that Hitler wanted to wipe out the Jews, we want to wipe out the Palestinians. So um, it's going to be hard because... In a certain sense, what you're asking us to do, i.e. minimize the death of civilians, is against the whole ethos of, of, of our operation here in Gaza. We want to actually <clears throat> come up with a final solution to this problem of these two million people being there, you know, existing, we want to find a solution and the, we had to talk about it and we say that when your problem is the existence of people, the best way to deal with that problem is if if the problem is the existence of those people, the best thing to do is to actually, you know, eliminate their existence. Um, of course, we can try and make it less obvious. Like we won't just bomb them and shoot them all. What if we were to just starve them to death? What if we put them in a position where they're all hemmed into a tiny, small section of the a small section of the of the Gaza Strip, and they can't get out and we destroy all the infrastructure and hospitals and water plants and stuff, and then uh, we don't have any food in, and then we, through starvation and hopefully some kind of disease will take hold and wipe them out that way. Would that be okay, John? I mean, can, w- w- could you spin that for us in the White House at the next press conference? Like, Could you say that just like a kind of like an act of God that no one could have foreseen, you know, that that the people are starving, you know? And just don't mention that we're not getting, letting any food in, you know. Um, and don't mention that we actually created the conditions that are perfect for the, the, the breakout of, a, of some kind of disease epidemic. And then we'll just say it was...
0: Circumstances beyond our control. Yeah, it's
1: just, you know, these things happen. It's unfortunate, you know. Um,
0: the, the death toll in Gaza... Uh according to this source, this is Euromed Monitor, which is kind of a human rights organization. Uh, It's it's part of the UN, I think. This Mm -hmm. is four days ago. Gaza death toll has increased by 40% compared to before the temporary humanitarian truce. That's what's happened since we were last on. That was the truce, of course. Um, Which resulted in countless, well, the, hot, the hostage exchanges, which resulted in a lot of good press for Hamas because of how well they were obviously treated when they were returned safely and apparently happy. That was so, it was such a PR disaster for Israel that they ended <coughs> up spinning it last week into um, it looks like we've done some tests and it looks like they were drugged. They mm. were given tranquilizers. That's why they're so happy as they yeah. come back. Um, yeah we don 't believe that but this, so the problem with these things euro Euromed monitor has given a figure there as of s- until four days ago of twenty one thousand seven hundred and thirty one dead mm-hmm. but um i not, i 've noticed that the figures are beginning to diverge widely y- You can get a figure that 's actually five thousand lower that 's the one that most Western media is going with around seventeen thousand. Here's the thing. The four people who were chiefly responsible f- for tracking it in Gaza... Have all been killed. Have all been killed.
1: By design, right? Obviously. Well,
0: this is what it's starting to look like. You yeah. were talking before about the pattern that emerged of targeting hospitals and food depots. Obviously, targeting civilian, key mm-hmm. civilian infrastructure. It's even more sick than that. Like... What emerged this week, this is from a pro-Israel outlet. So maybe they're lefty. The, the, the Plus the 972 magazine, they do in-depth reports. Mm-hmm. They're pretty good, actually. They, they've done some great things um, over the years. So they're pro-Israel, but they will be critical and expose the shit that their government gets up to. Um, I'm just... We'll put it up. You saw it. It's like... about how the IDF is using AI to target Gazans Mm -hmm. in, quote, a mass assassination factory. Mm -hmm. It's a really lengthy report, but this is the version we have on SOT. um, what What you're left with is that they're able to target the individual. And it's no longer the case that, okay, if we want, this doctor, he's likely to be in this hospital, so hit the hospital. got mm-hmm. will get rid of the guy who's keeping a death toll count going. Mm-hmm. It's even more precise than that. They killed arguably Gaza's top intellectual, a tenured professor, um, Refat something, I forget his surname. Mm-hmm. And the way they did it, um, I don't have the details here. It's happened since this report's been published by um, 972 magazine. But the way they did it was someone in the Israeli intelligence called his mobile and warned him that they were they were going to target him um, because he'd been lampooning or making fun of something about the, the the fake news, which it is now known to be fake news about the 40 beheaded baby mm-hmm. or something. And therefore, we're get, we're, we know where you are. We're going to get you. So he was like, I'll take that seriously and I'll leave right now the hospital because if they hit where I'm currently hiding out, they're going to kill innocents around me. Mm-hmm. He walks, I think, I don't think he was driving, it's short distance to his sister's house where he'll take up refuge for now. Only once he gets inside the building whoosh, mm-hmm. drone strike kills mm-hmm. him, his sister, entire family mm-hmm. the entire family's dead. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the that's the precise nature of what yeah. The, an example of what this article about using AI to precisely yeah. see where someone it's is. It's not even
1: AI, it's just cell phone, call, cell phone tower or a triangulation. Yeah, but it's,
0: it's real-time triangulation of, yeah. of people and doing it in a way that it will hurt them the most. Because Gazans, of, like this professor included, they're so used to it, they're like, I'll be a martyr, <laughs> they're going to get me, fine. But what can I do that lessens the suffering mm. of innocence around me? So he leaves the hospital well, the Israeli machine, in its sick way, thinks one up on that and thinks, "Where will we get you?" That hurts everyone who
1: loves you the closest mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, 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 I mean, really, the really thing behind this is it's genocidal intent, and it's it's evil. It's profoundly evil in its in its in its in its thought processes. I can't I mean, think it's not, of, can you think of any other? Well, you have to go back to Second World War. You have to go back to the Nazis and Hitler. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean Even like,
0: Ukrainian neo Nazis. <coughs> I mean, maybe if they could get their hands on this kind of stuff, they would do it, but.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's. I just put up that Guardian article just on, on that point about the the increase in, in casualties, and again, just to validate the genocidal intent. Uh, so, this is just from a couple of days ago, and it's civilians make up 61% of Gaza deaths from airstrikes, is really. is an Israeli study found this, right? So. Basically, the message is that the, the civilian proportion of deaths is higher than the average in all world conflicts in the 20th century.
0: In the absolute number or, yes. or the ratio? relative.
1: Proportion. Proportion of deaths. Proportion. So in any conflict, okay. the number of civilians that are killed, it's generally speaking, it's about 50%. Huh. And we're talking here about the Second World War, the First and Second World War, uh-huh. and every other conflict in uh, Vietnam or every other con- conflict in the, in the 20th century... In those conflicts, they floated around the area of about 50%. In any of those wars, major, obviously, world wars, 50% of the overall death toll was civilian, or 50% or less. But in this conflict, because Israel is at the controls, the civilian death toll is 61%. So that puts it, that that gives you evidence of of a genocidal intent in the sense of deliberately... Targeting civilians when you have that significant increase up to sixty one percent, and it's probably higher than that. Yeah. but that's because that's not a really study. I mean, there's there's probably at this point several thousand people still under buildings.
0: Right, that's part of why it's hard to get these <coughs> numbers.
1: And so that's they the know
0: that they've killed more journalists um, in the first two months than than that, than there are any stats for in any of the right. other wars example, except well, one that's known as World War Two. Israel has killed in absolute terms um, f- about just over half, about 52 or 53% of the number of journalists who were killed in the entirety of World War II right. with a 60 million well, that's total death toll. That's, that's is, targeting, is, it's beyond statistical
1: chance. It's mass murder of civilians. Well, um, in that example, it's just journalists. But journalists are civilians, right. and they're in that same category. <clears throat> they're the one, along with civilians, they're the other group that are not meant to be targeted, but Israel targets them. I mean, and this is from a, a few days ago as well, just to you know, back up the claim of genocidal intent here. am <clears throat> not saying it's genocide by the numbers, strictly speaking, because you, know, you can debate over what a genocide is and does it have to be a certain number of people, a certain threshold of a... <clears throat> a high threshold or number, but in terms of intent, I mean, I can have genocidal intent against a hundred people. A hundred people isn't a genocide, but if I want to kill them all, then it's gen- you can call it genocidal intent, right? Uh-huh. <clears throat> this is uh, just in the left one there. Just click on the left picture. Uh, the Times of Israel. Uh, this is Avigdor Avidor Lieberman, who's a you know high, h- highly you know prominent member of the Israeli government. Innocence in Gaza. Don't be naive. Uh, so that's the, that's the attitude and, and o- openly expressed attitude. You can imagine what they say in private. Yeah. Openly expressed attitude of the Israeli government and really politicians. And a, a, an attitude that is held also by the, it appears to be a large majority of Israeli civilians, Israeli citizens, that the Palestinians are all terrorists. They're all subhuman. In the same way that the Nazis believed the Jews were subhuman and other minorities were subhuman and just used that to justify slaughtering them, uh, their attitude is that all Palestinians are subhuman terrorists and should be, can be, and should be killed um, without any compunction. Um, there's and just again, just to back up, here's here's some video evidence. Um, you don't have to play it, but well, you can play play a little bit of it. But it's Israeli really soldiers as they're going through Gaza finding. Food, any food they find in food trucks. Food
2: trucks. Um,
1: they set them on fire. They're, I mean, again, this isn't maybe very effective in a certain sense. I and mean, there's there's a certain amount of food in that food and aid, you know, supplies, water, food in that truck. Um, but it's the attitude. You know, that, that these guys didn't didn't. They're not too bad apples, right? When you see Avigdor Lieberman and other politicians calling. For the extermination of essentially the extermination of Palestinians, and you see the soldiers on the ground burning food trucks. Uh, that the intent there clearly is like that we want to starve these people, right? We want to we want to give them no quarter whatsoever, and they're smiling about it. Yeah. So I mean, you know, <clears throat> the,
0: the, 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 it's clear. I mean, fucking Reuters had a, a headline that. Israel was ordering Gazans to flee and then bombing the mm-hmm. very location where it sent them. Um, I'm not sure what this video here... They have drones going around. More like, you know, classical drones with voice recordings. Um, Loki says this one is telling, ordering them uh, just not to resist. But they, I imagine they're also telling them where to go exactly. And They're getting hit. Played out there this is creepy as hell. Can you imagine this situation? Can you put the sound on them?
2: ولا بنسوي
0: have probably seen the, 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 the footage of Palestinian men been taken off blindfolded by the IDF. Um, I thought the worst of that when I saw it, but it's sick. Apparently they didn't just take them all away and, um, shoot them, but they didn't mind them thinking that because their own published photos show them lined up on the streets, then carted off in open trucks and then lined up next to a pit. I mean, the the message they were conveying was we're we're taking these men and we're going to shoot them and just push them into the pit. Mm Um, the update on that is they didn't. They let most of them back to where they picked them up, uh, but they did report and claim that these were, you know, Hamas, Hamas who had surrendered on mass. And then people douche. fact-checked. They recognised some of them were, yeah, academics or clerics or secretaries or yeah. journalists or whatever.
1: Douchebags in the in the in the West, pros really douchebags were all jumping on and saying Hamas are, you know. Fleeing from their tunnels and being arrested on mass and all this kind of stuff, it. and yeah, it was proven to be false. But there's this—you uh, probably, I don't know if you saw this video, but this we put it together where Israel obviously took two. This is, you know, there was one video of them all lined up, whenever and Israel wanted to justify doing this, so they basically—in this video—shows that they basically staged um, got at least one of the guys to come forward with a gun, and just play it there. <laughs> Right, so they messed up and well, did a second take. No, well, they got at least two takes because he got a gun in one hand in the first one and a gun in the other hand in the second. And also, there's other differences in the video when he puts down the gun. Obviously, it's not just to switch the gun or something like that, or someone manipulated the video to switch the gun. He yaks in different ways all the way through it. So they got that same guy. To redo to, it. to, to, to redo the, the walk out with a gun type thing, you know, because whatever, it wasn't a good take or something. So, very likely in that situation, obviously, the, the guy didn't have a gun at all, and none of these people were armed, they were all just civilians that so they rounded up. But they really just want to convince the West that, you know, we're dealing with Hamas terrorists here. Um, so, they're liars, they're liars, psychopaths, genocidal, mass murderers. Um, they're doing to the Palestinians what uh, Hitler did to the Jews, and they seem to be happy about it and the rest of the world seems to be sitting by mostly at least in terms of the <coughs> governments the rest of the world seems to be sitting by and uh, just going meh never again meh we will have another go at it this time with a, a strange ironic twist
0: Israel's also threatened to assassinate Hamas leadership wherever they are Turkey, Lebanon, Qatar you remember like 15 years ago when there was an assassination of in the UAE? Palestinian leaders and I don't know who they were exactly. Hamas Hamas were they Hamas or not Fatah UAE. I mean, that was a scandal and they tried to hide it and the
1: passports led back to Ireland and stuff like that. They stole New Zealand, they stole a bunch of passports and stuff. There's the sad agents? They dressed up in wigs and all this kind of stuff, like a bunch of shitheads going around and shooting shooting people in but hotels. At least then, though, there was a <coughs> pretense of having to have an op to do it on the QT
0: mm. and now it's like we can you advertise can, it to the world. Yeah, because 911 right? They're feeling confident. Um, I, this is what leads me to the question, though. Like, they're obviously winning the war. Although, what is that war? But, they're winning in Ghazam, they're getting what they want. No one's stopping them. Scott Ritter and other things, no, no, Hamas has beaten them, well, I'm not so sure about that. Um, But, global public opinion, do they even care? Um, Sometimes you you get the impression they do, and that they, they... they do factor that in. So this is the former Prime Minister Ehud Barak um, warning that we, Israel, have only got a certain a limited period of time, weeks in fact. Israel has only weeks to defeat Hamas as global opinion sours. Do you think they care? Or is that realistic? <clears throat> that That's part of why they're so brutal and so systematic right now. It's like, go, 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 windows closing.
1: Yep. Well, the Americans have told them that, as well, that they have till the end of the year. Um, The Biden administration, you you have—it's kind of like a, you know, a a macabre and sick and sadistic kind of like shopping, shopping trip. You know, you've got one minute to run around the the supermarket and put as many stuff, Mm -hmm. stuff in your trolley in your cart as possible. Um, It's like you you, can—you've only got you know another what is it now another three weeks uh, you have to kill as many palestinians you have to bring this to a head whatever your aims are you know get it done because it's bad for us basically the the biden administration it's bad for us it's bad for biden in particular and the, and the white house staff and stuff biden's staff because you know public opinion will eventually turn against it it's looking bad like you're doing pretty egregious things so um it can't stretch on too long because we have the ukraine war that uh, we lost basically and Russia won and this on top of it, it's not looking good for a re-election for Biden. It's it's you know negatively impacting the potential for that. So you need to do it as quickly as possible. You know, so I think um, the Israelis might be, you know, yeah, I think that's what they're in the process of doing, um, which is uh, attempting to push forward the final solution. I mean, like the BBC has a report here and, Uh, Israel-Gaza war. Half of Gaza's population is starving, uh, warned the UN. So, um, well, well, the other half starves in. that's it, right? That's your solution, right? Um, And of course, when you have a situation like that, very poor sanitation, no food, definitely they're hoping, I'd say they're hoping for some kind of a disease outbreak um, to create conditions so dire that Either the Palestinians left in Gaza, which are, you know, roughly two million of them, uh, will leave, or they'll force the hand of neighbouring states to intervene. Intervene. To to take them in. To take them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see, but it looks like, yeah, the next three weeks, basically, until the end of the month, um, will be decisive. Happy Christmas, eh?
0: But do you condemn Hamas for their actions of October 7th? You know that refrain is getting weak. It's been nine weeks now since that.
1: I would like to, I mean, I would have to, I don't know, have to restrain myself from... I know, but this is what they're still... Mildly strangling it's, someone it, who, who... They're not, still
0: running on that. It's getting thin, but... But it always was thin. Like I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, it's a ridiculous the, the question. The official Israeli position is still that, quote, around 1200... People died that day. They still This mm. is like, you can't tell us the number. Um, what has emerged since then, though, is about that the Hamas insider trading.
1: There's that. and the, Well, there's the fact that they knew, <laughs> knew about it more than a year beforehand. Uh, yes. Um, they knew about the plan.
0: I'll uh, just throw that up first. Just yeah. throw that
1: one up. That's from the New York Times. There's a new Hamas attack plan more than a year ago. A blueprint reviewed by the Times, let's go uh, down a little bit, yeah. blueprint reviewed by the Times, laid out the attack in detail, Israeli officials dismissed it as aspirational and ignored specific warnings. Uh, Specific? How specific? (laughs) You know, the thing is, uh, what actually happened? You can dismiss it as aspirational and ignore specific warnings, but that doesn't mean that you stop watching. You have this border set up, a high-tech surveillance border on Gaza that's been in place for almost 20 years. And it's automated to a large extent um, because it's so laden with sensors and and different camera and camera and sensor tech that even if you all walked away, the alarms would still be blaring on the day that anybody Hamas anybody attempted to come towards the border fence. So it doesn't excuse. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't dismiss the. The I didn't let them off the hook in that respect, you
0: know.
1: <laughs> so um, and about the Hamas,
0: <laughs> it's not Hamas, obviously. I, I'm, <clears throat> but that's how they spun it. Insider trading. Um, this is the actual Haaretz headline. People have been including, including myself. I think I need to take it down. I repeated. Someone doctored this headline <clears throat> to say that Haaretz had said, claimed that Israelis did it. Right. But what the actual headline was, did Hamas make millions betting against Israeli shares before October 7th massacre? There's a line. The headline obviously is not Hamas who did that. But it is a fact that giant gambles against Israel on the markets in Tel Aviv and Wall Street days before Hamas attack made Billions. Somebody seems to have known about the plan in advance. Yes, indeed. Somebody took out enormous short positions against Israeli stocks five days beforehand. Orders of magnitude bigger than normal trading activity. Yeah. And big enough to have made billions of shekels when the market crashed. Shekels? Who deals in shekels, Neil? I'm reading the actual Heretz. That's what they said. If I was a rich I think juice
2: juice. Yeah, so, <laughs> um <coughs>
1: Anyway, um, yeah, insider trading. Interesting, the parallel then with insider trading on 9-11. Yeah. Mark is 9-11, I should say, because they're two 9-11. Airline stocks. Exactly. Strange, and strange there warnings, coincidence. There
0: were warnings that the Pentagon and the World Trade Center towers would be hit yeah. using airliners.
1: Strange coincidence theories that promotes... I don't like promoting coincidence theories because they're too uncomfortably coincidental. And it forces me to draw conclusions that I'd rather not draw.
0: Netanyahu has said that if the International Criminal Court investigates Israel for war crimes, this will be an act of pure anti Semitism. Yes. Pure, high grade,
1: high quality. High-grade anti-Semitism.
0: If the ICC is anti-Semitic... Snort. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Snort some anti-Semitism. Um, the UN Security Council voted again on a ceasefire, again vetoed by the US. Um, US Congress last week passed House Resolution 894 equating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Mm. Uh, part of yeah, part of that kerfuffle was three presidents of American Hiv- Ivy League <clears throat> universities being berated by a Congresswoman in committee session when she was asking them if students on your campus are calling for the genocide of Jews would that constitute hate speech and be in breach of your own university guidelines, and they all equivocated and said, well, it depends on the context kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One of them has since resigned. Mm. She, she initially gave an apology, and then she, she was resigned, I think the head of McGill. Um, it, it is weird, though. I don't know why they did that. They should have said yes, but like, duh, because they spent the whole last 10 years going... Uh, major crackdowns mm-hmm. for hate speech on campus mm-hmm. in defense of woke ideology. And then they took this strange stance of saying, if, if someone said, I call for the genocide of Jews on your campus, would you, you know, sanction them in any way? Mm, they basically said no, because free speech. Mm-hmm. It's an a- they took the absolutist defense of free speech selectively. I don't know what they were thinking, but they had a unified front on that. Because not of Congress. I mean, <coughs> <laughs> it's
1: ridiculous
0: because it's hypothetical. No one has ever done that
1: on campus. Well, whatever, whatever, um, whatever, whatever elements of the, I suppose, the Democrats or the system, the, the deep state, the Washington establishment have been promoting that kind of like, um, you know. Uh, the woke ideology, left leftist ideology, were like Black Lives Matter, etc., etc., minority groups, immigrants, all that kind of stuff, and the oppressed people and reparations and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's infected, and this is an example of of it having naturally and organically and genuinely infected academia. So, and a lot of people are real against that. Um, but on this particular issue with Israel, it works against the the same government that was promoting it. It works against their interests in terms of supporting Israel because. Harvard and other universities say, well, listen, we're all about diversity, inclusion, equity, immigration, anti-oppression, reparations for oppressed people in the past and stuff. We've done it across the board with all the minority groups. And from our perspective, the Palestinians fit very well into that category. So <clears throat> in the same way, we can say white supremacy and White white slaving, white sla- slavers, and historical oppression against blacks in America, <clears throat> and you can call for reparations, and you can say all sorts of nasty things about white people because they're descendants of of, of white slave owners, and, and especially black people, obviously, can black Americans can say can say all sorts of nasty, egregious things because it's kind of reparations in kind, if you know what I mean, to get it off your chest. Well, same kind of thing applies to the Palestinians, really. I mean, they're clearly being oppressed, right. And we have Palestinian, you know, Palestinians on campus, and it's hard for us to to, to be hard for us to say yes to a, a black student, a black you know African American student saying, you know, kill all the whites because of what they did to my ancestors, and not allow a Palestinian to say kill all the Jews because of what they're doing to my people today. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, they would, So it's an example of it of it being genuine and not being hypocritical. Of, of, of academia these people have taken it up in con- academia I'm they're, trying to be consistent but th- well they're genuine in their belief about it yeah. if you know what I mean you know they're not you know hypocritical about it so they really believe it right <clears throat> so tough shit to the deep state on that one uh, yeah um
0: there's some <coughs> rumors of war um the U.S. may or may not hit back at the Houthis in Yemen mm-hmm. uh, because of these seizures, seizures of uh, ships that they're carrying out. And, and supposedly some strikes against Israeli, no, well, probably more against American mm-hmm. ships in the Red Sea. We don't know what's happened there because they put a, like, a lid on whether or not there have been any actual hits. Um. For now, they're just keeping it. They're downplaying it. In the meantime, that's... So that's, you know, the Yemeni front and then the same resistance front, of course, in Iraq and Syria. Uh, seven mortar rounds were fired into the U.S. Embassy compound in Baghdad on Friday. So what? Worse has happened before, but it's been a while since a direct attack inside the famous green zone. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that it's like crickets. Uh Saudi Arabia may or may not participate a new if you remember that they have a ceasefire at the moment um with the Houthis in Yemen. Right. So that could go back to where it was from twenty fifteen to last year. Um who knows? Who knows what's happening behind the scenes? Speaking of Saudi Arabia, of course, Putin visits Saudi Arabia and the UAE last week Mm -hmm. Um, I love how they all don't say anything about the elephant in the room namely what's happening in Gaza it's all about you know trade and relations and oil and blah blah blah. but you know you have to wonder why would Putin physically fly to both countries and then return and within the space of still the same day meet the president of Iran, who flies up from Tehran to meet him in Moscow. In, quick, in such quick succession, it's mm. obviously about Gaza mm. and or the wider situation, Yemen, Syria, mm. what's going to happen here. Um, so, But they all keep mum. Um, I thought it was beautiful that Putin went to the UAE while the Climate Conference, right. COP... COP twenty eight. Like in the West this is like wow, this is this is the place to be. You know, everyone who's anyone is there. John Kerry They're all saving the planet. All the European leaders are going to UAE. It's the big summit. This is the big issue of the day. And in the middle of Putin flies in. He's like maybe he's not invited, but he doesn't care. He's not there for that. He mm. flies into the same country and the leader who's hosting the the event leaves it to meet him for mm. five hour talks, and Putin's like, cheers, flies on to Saudi Arabia, mm. and off he goes back home. Cop me as well. He didn't even expose like,
1: the irrelevance uh, of it, really.
0: I had no interest. He did not just. Um, uh, you might, well, if it had been done on the QT, maybe, but it was such a. They both put on such a fanfare of welcoming Putin. That there were, you know, Russian flag flyovers uh, put on by the guitar using American jets, no doubt. Yeah. A full parade with camels and horses and military band and salutes and everything. It was like a yeah. full state visit. Yeah, yeah. Showing you what the leader of the host of the COP thought of what's the most important here. This summit over here with Western leaders or this meeting with the guy from the Kremlin? yeah it's a real like it's it's the the splitting of two realities you know mm-hmm. in in the literally in the same space in the same small city um yeah yeah i don't know i don't know what's... everyone wants it to end but to lance this boil as you said earlier but um in a sense the, the US and Israel are reminding everyone anew that they're the mad dog like and willfully so we're deliberately being mad so that no one does anything yeah stupid right
1: yeah we're showing just how crazy we can get basically so
0: so you're well, well, not you're not going to get anyone Respond unless they themselves are directly threatened. The the Palestinians can't because there's been decades of getting them to a situation where they cannot physically respond. The others, though, have a totally different developmental trajectory air defense system, air force, electronic warfare, some potentially serious missile capability of their own. Mm. Although we did we're not sure of what that is exactly. See. Of how far and how fast hypersonic maybe some of them have. So no one else can get the... This is, the, I suppose, a silver lining here. No one else can get the Palestinian treatment, I think. Maybe they're thinking Hezbollah can to make Israel's security better. They could what go north with what they're doing now going south. And that that would be the red line
1: yeah well, it would for sure, yeah obviously you'd, you'd be you'd be igniting a white a more serious wider war you know that Israel would, but it's like it's it's like they're just they're jailers and tormentors, you know the, the israelis and the american and the American friends are jailers and tormentors, like they have you know they're basically aren't
0: they too chicken shit to really do it seriously
1: to someone who can at least punch back. Yeah, and also there's the a wider, wider implications in terms of the whole global economy and oil and um, and who else we would pull in and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, they're, they're they're staying back from the brink, but it's crazy. Like they're 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 committing like sh- like probably some of the most evil acts that the world has ever seen, but doing it in in a Confined and constr- in a constrained way in a microcosm in a certain sense, you know um, because yeah, well, they can 't do it to everybody, obviously, but they want to do it to someone you know you can 't dismiss the the possibility that the, that these people are to a large extent just simply getting off on this country, kind of but in the same way uh like a psycho you know serial killer would would enjoy. You know the hunt, tormenting and the hunt. And it's not and
0: the, just the killing; it's it's the setting it up. Yeah, the hunt,
1: deceiving others in the process. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. pure, fundamental, like just distilled evil, basically. You know what I mean? And um, it's hard to watch and hard to sit here and not be able to do anything about it. You know, um, and the only saving grace is that, like I said, um, that the suffering of the of the Palestinians will serve as a, a wake up call, maybe wake up the conscience. Of those people, people, of people who, 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 who have had a sleeping con- conscience, you know, and just wake people up to the reality and then of the nature of the people in, in, in the West. You know what they, these people are—people who are directing this and facilitating. So, anyway, on that happy note, do you have anything else, or uh, do you want to talk about?
0: Just a small update. Um, You know, in another world, in another timeline, this would have been... (laughs) Everyone from here to Timbuktu would have heard about it. Imagine if Trump's chef of 30 years had died in his house in Mar-a-Lago. You know, under slightly unknown, let's say, mildly suspicious circumstances. It would be a big deal. Well... That happened to Obama's chef in late July, Tafari mm-hmm. Campbell. Mm-hmm. He drowned uh, nearby the summer house in Martha's Vineyard. Um, it was bizarre because he was a proficient swimmer, but he died while paddleboarding. With the daughter. In calm water. Well, that's... Well, it seems obvious. She's no. the one
1: who called the police and all that kind of stuff, and alerted to suggest that she was involved. Well, directly. Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, <coughs> that's what
0: I'm getting at. The, offic- no one's officially mentioned that, that the draw was involved. That the so that might have been explained in August. There was an update. The toxicology report came out, um, except <laughs> it didn't. It's supposed to be published. It's being withheld, and they they cited an old. Massachusetts bylaw that says no. Actually, in this certain certain circumstances, only the family needs to be informed. Okay. Um, secondly, well, who was the second paddleboarder who was with him who first alerted Secret Service back at the house? Who then called nine eleven? Well, the nine eleven calls also supposed to be published nine one one nine one one. That wasn't. Don't um, call so that's another thing that's against the usual now in early September, yes, it was revealed that it was a twenty six year old woman who was a second pal of border and quote a staffer
1: to the Obamas No, that's cover up yeah it's not named um, it was I think it was revealed that it was the daughter originally it was the daughter who called the police <coughs> called, called the emergency services originally was it mm mm-hmm. But I think they backtracked on that. I think they did, yeah. There was a cover-up operation yeah. But, like, the thing is, you know, so the daughter was out paddleboarding with the chef who she had a bit of a... Thing the oldest one, Malia. Now, yeah. officially,
0: she's 25. <clears throat> right. Close enough. And they're
1: enough, saying right. it's a 26-year-old. Right. Close enough. But, you know, she was out paddle-boarding with, the, with, the, with the, the chef who had, she had a thing for her and that kind of stuff, and he's married. And they're taking some kind of, you know, their own drink, you know, smoking, drinking, whatever, taking something, and it all goes a bit pear-shaped and, you know... Uh, um, but, like, when you have a hermaphrodite for a mother, you know, you're going to get up to that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? So, um, uh, it's not easy, having a hermaphrodite for a mother, so.
0: <sighs> it really is like late Rome. And a weirdo for Justinian a Rome. Commodus. Commodus. Um, people. Uh, people. There's yeah, a reference.
1: Elagabalus, I think his name was. Transgender. Who? 18-year-old. I think it's Elagabalus El, 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 or Ballus El, or something. Like and one of the later... I, I'm going to put put together a thing on that. It's he was really, he was a, a late Roman emperor, like twenty or eighteen or twenty. Yeah, he was a Roman. He was an emperor. Yeah, he was transgender. But then. That was, that's got to do with the 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 galley the the transgender castrated um, kind of priests at the time and all against kind of, stuff. of, of so, a of a strange new sect of a strange relatively new one of a few sects and stuff and to do with like you know you know ritually killing balls and bathing in the blood so you can live longer you know that kind and, of stuff similar stuff and parading like doing,
0: naked in the streets yeah and
1: having gay pride. Basically, transgender pride parades in the streets—that kind of thing—it it was all happening back then, just before the the destruction of Rome by probably by some kind of um, natural cataclysm. You know, uh, you know, you could theorize that. Um, yeah, it's it's bizarre that the parallels with what was going on just pre collapse, destruction of Rome, not collapse of Rome, like, well, okay, it collapsed internally from the, the decadence and the decay, but also it seems to have been defined by some kind of a, at least by, by certain kind of um, archaeologists and dendrochronologists and stuff like that, that it was a, a meteorite impact on about 540 AD that set most of Western Europe on fire, and that was. Uh, Charlotte with today are very, very striking, you know. Anyway, uh, I'm going to finish on uh, a piece of advice, particularly for you, Neil. Never trust atoms. Never trust atoms. Atoms, yeah. Atoms, the, the Because they, the, make up, they make up everything. But <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, watching, whatever you're doing, and commenting. Uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Probably with our, probably last show, maybe. probably yeah, yeah. possible, Unless some madness is going on, but it'll be close enough to Christmas at that point. But we'll be back next week with another show. End of year, Christmas special. Christmas special. We'll nearly be wearing this, uh Christmas gear, I'm sure. <clears throat> and I hope you all will too. Even though you don't feel like it, do it anyway. Because um, you've got to do something. Keep your spirits up. Yeah, so we'll be back at the end. So until then, have a good one. And... Whatever. See you later. Bye. Bye, everyone. See you next week.
2: Can't stop the signal now.